Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed the Yogurt Shop 4? Part 2 with a special guest, Nick, from the True Crime Garage podcast. The news was unreal. Four teenage girls each shot in the head and severely burned. Their bodies left inside a local yogurt shop. Three of the victims were students at Lanier High School. Give us the information that will lead to the arrest and conviction of the person that murdered these girls, and we will give you $100,000 for that information. Jennifer and Sarah Harbison, Eliza Thomas, and Amy Ayers, all killed inside a frozen yogurt shop on Anderson Lane in North Austin. Four men were arrested, two of them were convicted, and years later, their convictions were overturned. The first day back to school for their classmates wasn't easy. Austin police have chased down over 700 leads. Tonight, for the first time, they've named three men they want to question in the murders. I mean, you don't have to think anybody's going to come into a yogurt place and shoot you. I mean, I still don't know why, why someone would kill four innocent, innocent girls. They never did anything, you know, to hurt anybody. She always put her hair way up, you know, and then she'd have clips and then wash her face real good at night. And I can just still see her doing it. The Lanier School community, student body, and faculty and staff have been saddened by the tragic deaths of four young ladies for whom we mourn today. The only thing that would help at the moment is Eliza coming in the door. Now, you've been uh, living here in Charleston for quite some time. Uh, what have you been doing? Uh, working, living my life. Two of the four arrested were Michael James Scott, age 26, from Buda, Texas, Robert Burns Springsteen, age 26, from Charleston, West Virginia. I mean, they died and they were so, you know, they were our age and, I mean, it makes you really think, you know, tomorrow is a promise. And, I mean, anybody here may not be here tomorrow and it's just scary and it hurts. They may have taken the lives of four girls, but they've ruined the lives of a lot of people. It would not be prudent to risk a trial until we know the nature of the involvement of this unknown male. Hills Court in Austin is going to hear arguments today on the notorious yogurt shop murder case. They're going to have their, their day of facing someone. Still haunts people to this day. If you read about it, if you heard about it, if you were touched by it, if you were affected by it, you became a victim. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Who Killed, a Slow Burn Media production. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's episode is part two of Who Killed the Yogurt Shop 4. Luckily, I am joined this week by Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast, and we will be discussing some of the theories about who could have committed this crime after some of the convictions were overturned in last week's episode. Now, we both have read the book, by Beverly Lowry, who killed these girls. And we can't implore you enough that if you have not read the book, as a true crime fan, it is definitely one that you should check out. And in the theory that she puts out is also a theory that some of the police, as well as some of the authorities, believe. And that is that two individuals are most likely the culprits in this particular crime. Now, Nick and I go into detail about the individuals 
who have been thought of as possibly being the killers. And some of the theories are really interesting. And if you take a look at some of the pictures that are available online, you'll be able to see what we're talking about. And if you'd like to kind of go along with what we're talking about, you can download a map or just pull up a map of the yogurt shop layout. And it kind of details how this could have gone down if it would have been two perpetrators opposed to the Michael Scott and Robert Springsteen convictions. So if you guys have the time, I'm going to put those two interrogation videos, the audio at the end of this episode again, just if you guys want to take another listen. And otherwise, I wanted to let you know that I will be representing my passion case, Who Killed and Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic, at this year's CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. And that is May 1st through the 3rd. And I can't implore you enough to go to CrimeCon if you are a true crime fan. Because it is really an experience unlike anything you've ever had in your life. You get up close and personal with all the true crime personalities. Dateline, 48 hours. Presentations are second to none. And if you guys want to save... On your ticket, you can use my ticket promo code, which is Amy2020. So again, that is for CrimeCon, May 1st through the 3rd in Orlando. I look forward to seeing you there. And with that being said, let's jump into my conversation with Nick from True Crime Garage. And we will be discussing some theories on who killed the Yogurt Shop 4. On this week's episode of Who Killed, it's part two of Who Killed the Yogurt Shop 4, and I am lucky, so lucky, to be joined by Nick from True Crime Garage. He has been a guest on many of my shows before, and if you aren't familiar with his shows, all of his stuff is available on Stitcher. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Thanks for having me once again, Bill. It's great to have another cup of coffee with you and talk some more true crime, and I was listening to last week's episode of yogurt shop and that's what i call you know that this case is referred to by several different names and but really yogurt shop is the most popular of the names and beverly lowry even references that in her book who killed these girls and it's always interesting to me where us the public and society where we come up with the names and how we name certain famous crimes and this is one thing that you and I kind of touched upon when we talked about this uh, briefly before, mm-hmm. is that this is such a horrific crime. This is such a tragedy. This is such uh, a, and it's also a, a black eye on, uh, for Texas as well, you know, for Austin, for the city. Yeah, and, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an artsy town. I mean, this isn't like... Um... This is one of the most painful of memories. Yeah. And so I think that when we have these certain crimes, these basically a a massacre, if you want to call it that, but we have, you know, it reminds me of how we named Superbike and how we named the Lane Bryant shooting and Columbine and Newtown and the list goes on and on and on. But what I think happens is specifically when, a horrible crime happens at a place, a place of business or a school or a place that already carries its own name. Now, mind you, this place wasn't called Yogurt Shop. It's just referred to as Yogurt Shop. But one, it, it, it abbreviates the, the tragedy for us. And it, it also softens the delivery for me to you in the in even when you acknowledge, you know, if I say, hey, did you hear they, they made an arrest at, 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 regarding yogurt shop? You and I don't have to go through the horrific details. We don't have to name all four of the victims. We don't have to. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a way, I guess, to still be able to talk about it, but not have to relive it. Yeah, I think that's very, that's very uh, astute per, uh, perspective because that definitely, I mean, you think about all the major places. I mean, like we talked I think about the McDonald's massacre. Um, you, you know, you mentioned Newtown, Newtown uh, Columbine. They just are those places because you're right. It softens the blow. It makes it easier to discuss and it takes a tragedy, but it all, I think it also helps keep that tragedy 
that much more in the public's consciousness because right. it's got a shorthand name. Because right. you know, like John Bonet, we can say John Bonet. I yeah. mean, it's you know who that is. There's only one John Bonet, so it's like, I mean, there may be a million of them in the world, but mm. the one you think of is the one from the true crime world. So, according to Steve Thomas's book, she was the only John Bonet. Uh, he says in the world, but uh, maybe he means John Benet Ramsey. But we we don't need to get into. I think that's semantics at some point, right? But um, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um. But you you had referenced who killed these girls. I mentioned it already, and I'll tell you, I, I was thinking about this the other day, of like my top twenty favorite true crime books, or what I would tell others that that like the genre must reads the top 20 must reads who killed these girls by Beverly Lowry is a fantastic book. It's, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite true crime books. It's a horrific crime to have to read about, but the way that she lays it out, the way that she pieces everything together is it's just masterful. And she is absolutely brilliant. She's a wonderful author. I cannot recommend that book enough. There is another book uh, that that is pretty thorough as well, that has some information in it that Who Killed These Girls does not have, uh, called Murdered Innocence, that's about Yogurt Shop as well. And this is by Corey Mitchell. I recommend both. The only issue with Corey Mitchell's book, and this is not to his fault. I mean, nobody could have predicted this. This case is so big, so complicated. It's been going on for almost 30 years, and it's had many twists and turns along the way. His book came out in 2005. And as you and I know, and anybody that knows this case, this, this was going through some, the case was going through some turns right around this time. And where I believe Mitchell probably thought they were releasing the whole story start to finish. We know that now not to be the case because here we are 2020 this took place 1991, and we're still looking for the killers. It's one of those cases that, you know, like you said, it's got the name Yogurt Shop. I think it was, I can't believe it's yogurt. And I think we had TCBY, which I've heard different references into what it actually stood for. But definitely during the yogurt uh, fad of the 90s. <laughs> uh, and this was, so it would have been a popular super popular place. And I think for a city like Austin, who's so close with one another, as far as the community goes, you know, it's very artsy. They have the film festival. They have the Austin City Limits. It's a community that is haunted now by this tragedy that really just kind of looms over the city. Yeah. I mean, you have the, uh, the tower shooter, Charles Whitman. And yeah, that, will, that, that will probably always lead the lead Yeah, the that, that, will always, that will always be a memory. I think even to this day, you can't, you can't no one can go up into the, the tower. Uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah, it, they they will they do allow some tours to go up there, but it's on very select days, and it's it, the security is still incredibly high on that, which it should be. I mean, it's weird because you do see people reenact. There's no reason to believe to, just because it happened once before that it never happened again, and it's it's so crazy. And then, like you said, yogurt shop is one of the most famous Texas cases. I mean, it's a huge case. It's been going on for 30 years. It's an incredibly complicated case as well. And that's also a bit of the tragedy because yeah. I think that one, one problem that we have here and one of, the, one of the reasons why it remains unsolved, obviously, is because at one point they thought they solved this thing. At one point they went out and arrested four guys. They put two of them behind bars successfully. Mm -hmm. And we end up getting... And this is this is part of the story that I don't know that everybody knows, even people that, that may know this case well. Out of the four that they arrested, they technically ended up with three confessions. Now, this brings in a fifth person altogether. His last name was Davidson. And what was weird is we have a situation where Maurice Pierce in 1991 is picked up because he's got a 22 caliber gun. I believe it was a pistol that... He's spotted with this. He's carrying it illegally. He's a minor at the time. 
And when he's picked up, he says something to the effect. Now, mind you, he's not picked up in question in regard to the yogurt shop murders that have already happened by this point. He's picked up just because he's a teenager illegally carrying a firearm. He says during the course of of this whole operation that um, he had lent the gun to his buddy Forrest and Forrest used it to, I believe his words were, to kill those girls. Now, what they end up doing is many years later, once they, they've, the case has gone cold, they hand it over to cold case detectives. They're pouring through and tearing through the file, looking for anything that wasn't investigated or looked into completely. You know, they're, they're looking for loose ends. And when they're going through the file, what they find is this story of, hey, this kid is picked up carrying a firearm. And he says at the time, one of his buddies used it to kill those girls. Well, we need to investigate this, don't we? It could be in reference to yogurt shop. To try to, to try to bridge the gap a little bit here and, and not go through it too much, they eventually pick up Michael Scott. And Michael Scott is one of Maurice Pierce's friends. And during the course of questioning, it very quickly goes from an interview to an interrogation. And during the interrogation part, they start to convince Michael Scott that he probably knows more about this yogurt shop crime than he thinks that he does. Good at that. Yeah. Well, Polanco, I believe was his name. Either Polanca or Polanco uh, was the detective that really steered this confession and really drug this confession out of him. And what's so crazy, too, is that this case, I think more so than any other, really mirrors the West Memphis 3 case. You know, for people not familiar with Yogurt Shop, they, they're probably familiar with the West Memphis 3 case. And why is it similar? Because we have multiple minors, underage people that are killed. Mm-hmm. And then later, we're being told by law enforcement that they were killed by teenagers. We get a confession. You know, Jesse Miss Kelly confesses to killing those three boys. And then we have an arrest and then trials. And then later we're told, well, maybe the, the people that we convinced the public and that we put behind bars that, and, and sent to death row, maybe they didn't actually do it. And now we're going to let them, we're going to let them free. And it's such a weird case that the, the difference between the two, I guess, would be we have West Memphis three, Jesse, Miss Kelly, Jason Baldwin, and um, Damian Eccles, who they take the Alfred plea so they can get out. Mm-hmm. But this situation, we have uh, we had defense attorneys calling for a new trial, and that kind of forced the hand of of the state of Texas to release Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott, the two that were convicted. And actually, Robert Springsteen was was on death row. The, the, Texas was going to kill him eventually for the yogurt shop murders. Yeah. It's very similar to what Damien was going through and being the only one that actually was put on death row. And yeah, there is a lot of parallels between their case and this case. And I mean, not as much as like, I mean, they're all tragic in in their own way. And I think we've talked about it before where it's like, you still have people that, aren't 100% convinced that Damien and the boys didn't have something to do with killing the West Memphis three. I think there's always going to be people that are suspicious of Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly, because, and this is something we touched upon on true crime garage a few times. There's also reason to be, I think suspicious of maybe just Damien by himself or two of the three. We don't need to get into that. But I think the difference there is in Yogurt Shop, we pretty much have definitive proof that these four guys, the four that were arrested, uh, forced, uh, I can never think of his last name. Wilborn. Wilborn, Maurice Pierce, Michael Scott, and Robert Springsteen. There is scientific evidence to suggest that they did not do this, that they did not kill uh, the four girls at the Yogurt Shop. Where with the West Memphis Three, there's always going to be suspicion against those three guys because we don't 
have uh, that scientific proof. And we also have these guys that, um, you know, some people are going to look at the Alfred plea is, is exactly what it is, uh, an admission of guilt. Uh, per the state of Arkansas, that's what it is. Right. You know, they're, they're confessing to their, their guilt. And then that, that case technically, as far as the state of Arkansas is concerned, is closed. Now, Yogurt Shop is open, and it is heating up once again. This is a case that's gone cold, warmed up, gone cold, stick it in the microwave, warm it up a little bit again. It's, it's a case that, and thankfully so, <laughs> it's, it's never really left the spotlight of Austin. It's never really left the, 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 the hearts and minds of the investigators and law enforcement in that area. Yeah. I, but I that's also created some of its own problems as well. And I think that that, that is why we have the problem with the, the four boys who, who eventually as men are arrested for the yogurt shop crimes. Yeah. I definitely think that there is an issue with, you know, the inter- anytime you have interrogations where that involve kids or teenagers or I just think there's yeah. just so many, you always, you walk away with so many questions. <laughs> well, now mind you, Michael Scott was a man. Uh, he was a, he was a grown ass man by the time that they sat him down. And well, I think, this is I, true, but I think the problem mm-hmm. becomes with yogurt shop is that you have three confessions. West Memphis three, you only have Jesse miss Kelly. And anybody that's watched that interview with Jesse Miss Kelly, um, you can see and you can, you can understand how they're piecing together and how they're getting him to create this story that goes along with the facts of the case. You can see that happening. Now, it does happen with Michael Scott as well, but the big, huge difference here is we have two other people that Polanka talks to that corroborate his story so now we have three confessors all kind of saying the same story Mm -hmm. and that's what for us the public it gets hard for us to get over that we can get over the mountain of one person confessed to something you and i would never we we like to believe that we would never confess to something that we did not do right but it does happen. We know that it happens. But then the real mountain that gets difficult to get over mentally is three people confessed. And what do I mean by that? Michael Scott confessed that basically his confession was that he and his friends, these three other guys, were there, that they went into the yogurt shop with the, with the motive to rob the place. They sexually assaulted the girls, killed them, and set the place on fire. And eventually Robert Springsteen agrees to this. They start, they start, they start pushing and pounding Michael Scott's story into Springsteen's head. And eventually he caves and says, yeah, I was in there and you know, I shot one of the girls. I killed Amy Ayers. I raped Amy Ayers. And then the, the third confession we get is not from Maurice Pierce. It's not from Forrest. It's from this guy named Davidson, who apparently part of Michael Scott's story doesn't end just with Yogurt Shop. His confession goes on to include that at some point in 1992, Scott is smoking a bunch of pot, which, I mean, he was before before yoga shop anyway, but he's still smoking a bunch of pot. And he says that he got all paranoid about being discovered, right? About these crimes, these horrific crimes that he and his buddies committed. He's getting paranoid because he hid the gun. He hid one of the guns and he hid it, I guess, like in a bed of rocks or something at a Creek. Yeah. I think it was like underneath, like a, I don't know, like a big old rock that they, you know, you know, it's Texas, so they had they had a place to to hide something. Well, and the the crazy thing though too is his, you know, he says that he went that he put a marker 
that he that he put a marker so that if he ever needed to find the the gun again he would be able to find it he like marked it somehow so he goes back and he finds the gun he's getting paranoid now he's going to give it to his buddy davidson i think he might have been living with this guy at the time and he puts it in a bag and he tells him could you dispose of this don't look inside the bag just dispose of this and davidson tells investigators yes michael scott at at some point in 1992 gave me a bag I didn't look inside of it, but I believed there to be a gun inside, and I trashed this thing for him as he requested. And this there, was pre-OJ, man. This was pre-Kardashian. Well, and the, therein lies the, 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 the horrible problem for us uh, as spectators sitting out on the sidelines. We go, okay, now we got three confessions, and then on top of that, there these are detailed confessions it gets very hard to you can understand i can understand and i can see how police can pull a false confession out of somebody but to be honest with you bill most of the false confessions that i've reviewed and of course i haven't seen them all but uh there a lot of them are rather vague this is not that this is detailed confessions now mm-hmm. what what austin PD ends up doing ultimately and they they kind of they didn't do they didn't pull like a making a murder or anything like that we, we don't have any situation and who knows what really happened there we'll figure that out someday but uh, <laughs> we, we're I'm not I don't I don't want anybody to get the wrong opinion you know wrong view that that they were planting evidence or anything like that they just took what evidence they had and left purposely left some of it out because it didn't fit Michael Scott's confession. And some of that evidence that was left out once this baby went to trial, now mind you, it went to two trials. But one of the the pieces that they leave out is that we have eyewitnesses that, that claim to have seen suspicious people. They claim to have seen suspicious vehicles and claim to have seen suspicious acts all at times, and and none of these descriptions match Michael Scott and his buddies, his goons, uh, you know, batch of goons that he's running around with, and none of it matches the vehicle that they were driving or believed to be driving that night. So it, it's awfully convenient to just leave those pieces out, and that's part of where we end up getting into trouble here with this case. This is part of the reason why ultimately Michael Scott is eventually let go and Robert Springsteen is eventually let go. Well, Pierce, I mean, Pearson Wellborn never even went to trial. I mean, there wasn't, you know, they went without a trial because there was no evidence that connected them. I believe Pierce actually sat in jail for a long time while they were trying to build a case against him. But I think what they As thought, one goes, yeah. Yeah, I th- and I think it was a good, like, two years he might have sat in there, a year and a half, something like, something crazy like that. And I think that they just thought that eventually Forrest will confess. Eventually Maurice will confess. And they, they, those two did not. They did not. They never confessed. And they couldn't build the big problem too they had was they couldn't build a case against Forrest. There just was no case against him. And actually, um, I want to say that. Protect your dream home with American family insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home auto and life. American family insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Now, mind you, it's been a while since I've reviewed Michael Scott's full statement and full confession, but I believe that, that Forrest was less responsible in that version of of the events yeah i don't have the i don't have the exact uh you know statement in front of me i just know that they um you know they get scott and springsteen to confess to these things and then it's like they don't even bring these other two people to trial how the hell did they go to trial if you've got these other i mean it just doesn't 
there's already stuff that there's already red flags in my opinion that are going off or popping up as this case has progressed through the court system and especially seven years i think it was what seven years after the fact when they first were arrested well yeah and they ultimately used michael scott's confession against robert springsteen at springsteen's trial And that became an issue, too, because almost immediately everybody's like, oh, great, there's going to be a bunch of you just set yourself up for a whole bunch of appeals. Right. Right. And so I think they thought as the dominoes fall that eventually if we get enough guys convicted within this group, then eventually, you know, if you get three out of four, you're going to get the fourth just based off of. What's the jury's jury's going to sit there and believe that you put three people behind bars and the fourth one isn't isn't going to get called called out as well, right? I mean, like, it's, and so you know what's so funny is like, where, where does Davidson fall into this whole damn thing at this time while they're going on trial? Like, you, we didn't talk about that when we talked off the record about this case, other than what eventually happened to Davidson, but what was going on with Davidson? I mean, did they give him immunity? Did they give him, was he prosecute? I mean, what was, what was going on there and why did he not become a part of the case moving forward? Well, I, I, I can't say with certainty. Um, I don't know that he would, I guess, I mean, he's, he's, he's would be an accessory after the fact, but his version of his confession is Michael Scott gave me something to discard. I did not know what it was, although he, he does say, I, I didn't visually see it, but I believed it to be a gun. He's, I, I'm, I would be guessing here, Bill, but I'm guessing that his confession did not include that. I knew that that gun was used in a murder. I knew that that gun was used in yogurt shop. I was just getting rid of something that my friend asked me to get rid of. Yeah, I guess my question, I guess the question really is, when did he become on, when did he get onto the police's radar as far as? After Michael Scott confesses. Okay, so it was. They would never have known who Davidson was until he's part of Michael Scott's confession, though, part of Michael Scott's story. So they basically go go and knock on Davidson's door and they ask him, did you have any involvement in this? And he says, yeah, I hid this gun for this guy. Yeah. Yep. And, and and then on top, so, but the thing is they have to, (laughs) they have to corroborate his story, right? They have to, they have to find evidence and they have to find ways to present this to a jury at trial and say, look, not only did this guy confess, but he's telling the truth. And here's why this guy, this guy backs up this portion of his story. This guy backs up this other portion of his story and so on and so forth. And it's look, I, I do believe that the detectives see, this is where I, this is where I struggle. This is where I struggle. Because there is part of me that believes that the detectives truly believe that they arrested the right people. Oh, it's it's definitely clear. And that's where that's where when we sit here again as spectators on the sideline and we want to criticize everyone and we want to call people out for this, that, and the other thing. It's not it's not one hundred percent wrong in my mind if they thought they were doing the right thing at the time. Now the, the the problem though too, Bill, is Polanco, this this detective Polanco shit, standard. He could have well, he was using the Reed technique, something that they called the Reed technique, mm-hmm. which is which is outdated now. But um and I believe they were using the Reed technique for the West Memphis three as well. But anyway, <laughs> um they use it for a lot of different cases. This, this Polanco guy, he was brilliant in the sense that he could get people to confess to crimes that was his thing he was like the closer man but the problem is he was so good at it he could get people that didn't do the crime to confess to it and (laughs) and therein lies the problem you you have to wonder 
are there other people that this guy put behind bars that are still sitting there that confessed to something that they didn't do? Are you, are you saying that somebody could have possibly convinced somebody that they, they did something and they got prosecuted for it and they're sitting in prison or innocent? Well, if we are to believe Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, Maurice Pierce, and Forrest, if we're to believe these four guys, then Polanco got three people to confess to things that didn't happen. Yeah, that's insane. Manufacture memories that are not there. I mean, it's like he's like a Svengali or something that's able to like put the put the uh, you know memories within your brain or like he's part of the Matrix and you know well, in detailed confessions. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like how is he getting that information? You know, because it turns out that the the information is false or. Yeah, but but with this read technique, what you see them do, and you see them do it with Jesse Miss Kelly, and you see it 100% with Michael Scott as well. Lie about what they have. Well, they don't lie. What they do is they go, okay, Bill, when you, got, when you took the girls back into the storage room, you tied them up, didn't you? Well, you say yes. Maybe you didn't know that they were tied up until I just let it. I'm leading you with that question. You tied them up, didn't you? Yes. What did you tie them up with, Bill? Uh, I don't know. You're saying I don't know because you didn't tie them up. You don't know that they were tied up. You didn't know till just now that they were tied up. Right. And you go, and then you start going, you see this with Michael Scott. They go, it, it was something white. Remember? Close your eyes and, and visually see you tying up the girls so you can remember what it was that you used to tie them up. And Michael Scott says, extension cord? <laughs> and he goes, they go, no, that's not what you used try harder bill try harder remember better remember better remember better try harder and then michael scott actually says napkins napkins because he's he's trying to think of anything white he's in the hot seat he just wants out of the seat that's how that read technique works is that you once these people once you get them to start confessing what they do it, it, to kind of scientifically explain this to people and how it works and why that it does work is at some point you can manipulate the person to where they feel that they're helping you and you are bullying them and they feel that the way to get you to stop bullying them is to help you by right. giving you the answers that you want. And even if it's wrong, I'll tell you what you want because I just want this to be over with. And the only way you're allowing this to be over with is if I continue to help you. Now, why would they continue to lie? Because they're weak. And then at some point they believe that this will all get straightened out. I will tell them what they want to hear now. So this will be over with, but it all gets straightened out. Once they hook me up to a polygraph and the polygraph tells them that I'm lying, it all gets straightened out. Once they see that the evidence doesn't match my story. And and then this will all be over with. Then what the problem is, is that polygraphs are, nobody uses those at trial. They're not allowed. And the other thing too is, so the police hook him up to a polygraph. If he fails because he's lying about the story, then he just toss it out and go, eh. Whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing about the the whole polygraph aspect of the, of any case is, yeah, it's good to clear your name to an extent but again it's only going to do yourself a disservice if it is quote unquote i mean they don't have to tell you even if you passed or failed or i mean they can say whatever the hell they want to say it is just part of being interrogated by the police i just don't understand why they use that tech i mean i know why they use that technique but the fact that they can use that technique and it's not admissible in court it's there's a little disconnect there like oh this is good enough for our interrogations but it's not good enough for our juries to decide if it's good like it's like come on man well and then on the flip side of that when you have investigators putting too much weight too much gravity into a polygraph. Well, then you have other cases where they've probably cleared the perpetrator 
because they believed the the polygraph results because they believed that he was not lying to them and there's a good batch of psychopaths out there that could can kill somebody one day and lie about it the next and you not be able to hook them up to a machine that's going to tell you this guy's he ain't telling you the truth because they don't react the same way that we do they don't feel the same way that we feel Exactly. Those tests are designed, uh, you know, they're going to be tested in a lab with people that are not considered psychopaths. And so basically you have, you don't have that. I, I'm trying well, to think Well, and the machine it. doesn't score the test either. You have, you yeah. have dummies like me and you that are sitting there going, all right, I put a score to it. Oh, this looks like a lie to me. Well, here we go. This uh, <laughs> We'll give you a seven out of 10. Eh, to see you guys, I don't know. It's kind of questionable. So should we talk about, uh, there are a couple things that jump off the page regarding Scott's confession that are not correct. Yeah. Yeah. But I know, I know you got to go today real quick. So, you know, if we want to wrap it up for, you know, and then we can finish it up in, uh, you know, and second episode, that'd be awesome. I mean, do you have, you know, another day that we could talk about it because i know you got to run yeah that that would be good i tell you in the um uh in the meantime you give your listeners some homework and i think to really discuss this case and to really get into it and to have a full understanding of why the confessions don't work and why and how this crime probably went down and there was a lot of crimes that went down that night unfortunately and but the best way to understand that is to 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 see to find a diagram of the the layout of the yogurt shop of this tiny little yogurt shop and to visually see the layout of everything will give everybody a a very good understanding and very good knowledge of these crimes yeah and i think we'll talk about that definitely in part 2 so nick i know you got to run so i appreciate it so much again and uh thanks so much always good to talk to you bill thanks again thank you again to nick from the true crime garage podcast for making plenty of time for me this week to discuss the yogurt shop murders he is always a great resource and he really does know his stuff all of his past shows can be found on stitcher radio backlogs of every single episode they've ever done including episodes on the Yogurt Shop Murders, which are episode 81 and 82. And thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of Who Killed? I will be dropping new episodes every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for the second year in a row, I will be representing Who Killed? My Passion Case and Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando. If you guys are looking to save, you guys can use my promo code AMY2020 to save on your ticket price. If you have never been, it really is a bucket list item for any true crime fan. If you guys do enjoy this podcast, you can help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of my website, slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. Or via the Venmo app with my username, at bill-huffman-3. I will also provide a link in the show notes. Any amount is appreciated and it really does help keep this podcast running. If you do enjoy what you hear, you can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening now. It really does help keep these important cases that I cover in the spotlight especially anything that is unsolved. I will be dropping new cases of my other series, My Passion Case, every Monday. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases I have covered, as well as the new shows that I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you guys again so much for listening. And until next time, be safe. Now let's take a listen to Michael Scott's interrogation and see if you can find anything that stands out to you as being a little bit on the shady side. You want the truth, and you know what the truth is. You're having trouble with the memory and the flashbacks. You know what happened. You're scared to tell us. I don't blame you. It's a horrible thing what you saw in there. Look, can I tell you all what I keep seeing in my head? Tell us what you see in your head. I keep seeing these girls get shot. Right. Tell us what that looks like. Tell me what you see specifically. How they're getting shot and who's shooting them. Come on, Michael, you're doing good. Tell us. Let's do this today. Let's do it. 
back to memories, didn't it? I remember looking at the gun. You ever seen that gun before? I'm not positive. Does that look like a gun you've seen before? It looks like a gun I've seen before, but I'm not positive. Is that the gun you shot somebody with, Mike? I don't. Is that the gun you walked up behind somebody with and shot in the head? Is that the one? Talk to me, Mike. Yes, sir. You did that, didn't you? Yes, sir. We've just opened some more doors, haven't we, Mike? Not really. You sure? Yes, sir. Now we'll take a listen to Robert Springsteen's interrogation, and you make the decision on whether or not you feel like he's been fed information, or is he actually telling the truth? The problem is, we've got to get rid of our options. I cannot give you any more truth than I've already given. Where do we go from here? Why can't you? Because you're going to dig yourself into that thing? Well, you're already there. You've already dug the hole. The hole's there. Oh, then I'm in it. I don't know. That's what I keep telling you guys. I mean, my God, this was seven years ago. But this is one of the most significant things that ever happened in your life. That's what I keep trying to explain to you. If I was there and I partook in this, I would remember these things. And you do remember these things. No, I don't. No, I do not. You're the coldest guy I've ever talked to in my life. Are you a cold-blooded murderer? No, sir, I'm not. I I think you are. I think Maurice is absolutely true about you. Well, then... You're the coldest guy I've ever talked to. Pardon me? Then let's take whatever actions we need to take. If that's what you believe, and that's where you think this case needs to go, then let's go there. We don't want to go there. But I'm doing everything I can and have exceeded my limits of helping you guys. Where do we go now? What did Maurice make you do with that 380? Huh? What did he tell you to do?
Thank you guys again for listening this week. I look forward to catching up with you next week for another episode of Who Killed? And you never know what case I'll be covering. But again, until next time, I hope everybody is safe and sound. Take care. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.